Hello, and welcome to Bun Bun's Book Club, a podcast where I read various books and discuss them to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series, where I left off. Zeus is going to have to take a back seat because the spotlight is now in Hestia's favor. So, join me as I hop in. Zeus takes a back seat, and Hestia chooses Bachelor number zero. Okay, so why is Zeus always first? Seriously, every book about the Greek gods has to start with this guy. What are we doing, reverse alphabetical order? I know he's the king of Olympus and all, but trust me, this dude's ego does not need to get any bigger. You know what? Forget him. We're going to talk about the gods in the order that they were born. Women first. Take a backseat, Zeus. We're starting with Hestia. In a lot of ways, Hestia was like her mom, Ray. She had an honest smile, warm brown eyes, and black hair that framed her face in ringlets. She was gentle and good-natured. She never said a bad word about anybody. If you walked into a party on Mount Olympus, Hestia wouldn't be the first girl who caught your eye, though. She wasn't flashy or loud or crazy. She was more like the goddess next door. Sweet and pretty, in an unpretentious kind of way. Usually she kept her hair tucked up underneath a linen shawl. She wore plain, modest dresses and never used makeup. I said earlier that nobody took her seriously. And it's true, the other gods weren't good about taking her advice. Cronus had swallowed Hestia first. So she'd gotten barfed up last, and because of that, her siblings tended to think of her as the youngest rather than the oldest, the last one to emerge. She was quieter and more peaceful than her siblings, but that didn't mean that they didn't love her. Like Ray, Hestia was a hard person not to love. In one important way, though, Hestia was not like Ray. Her mom was known for being, well, a mom. The Great Mother, the Ultimate Mama, Le Madre Grande. Hestia wanted nothing to do with being a mom. She didn't have a problem with other people's families. She loved her siblings, and once they were having kids of their own, she loved them too. Her fondest wish was for the whole Olympian family to get along and spend quality time with each other around the hearth, chatting or having dinner or playing Twister. Just really any wholesome activity. Hestia just didn't want to get married herself. If you think about it, you can kind of see why, though. Hestia had spent years inside Kronos's gut. She had a very good memory. She could even recall Kronos gulping her down when she was just a newborn. She remembered the sound of her mother wailing in despair. Hestia had nightmares that the same thing might happen to her. She didn't want to get married only to find out that her husband was actually a baby-gulping cannibal. She wasn't being paranoid either. She had proof that Zeus could be just as bad as Kronos. See, after the war with Kronos, Zeus decided it would be a good idea for him to marry a titan. Sort of a show of good faith that there were no hard feelings. He married one of Oceanus' daughters, a girl named Metis who was the titan of good advice and planning. 
Kind of like the Titan's life coach. Metis was smart about advising others, but when it came to herself, she wasn't so bright. When she was pregnant with her first kid, she told Zeus, My husband, I have good news. I foresee that this child will be a girl, but if we have another child together, it will be a boy. And get this, you're going to love this. He will be destined to rule the universe someday. Isn't that just awesome? Zeus panicked. He thought he was going to end up like Oranos and Kronos, chopped up into little pieces. So he took a page out of Kronos' playbook. He opened his mouth super wide and created a tornado that sucked Metis right down his throat, compressing her so small that he could swallow her whole. That kind of freaked out the other Olympians, especially Hestia. What happened to Metis and her unborn child down there in Zeus's gut? Well, we'll get to that later. But Hestia saw the whole thing, and she said to herself, I'm never getting married. Zeus apologized to the Titans and the gods for swallowing Metis. He promised never to do it again. But he decided to marry another Titan. As you can guess, there weren't a lot of volunteers. Only one agreed. Themis, the Titan of Divine Law, who just happened to be Hesh's favorite aunt. Themis had sided with the gods in the war. She understood right and wrong, and she knew that the gods would be better rulers than Kronos. Notice I said better, not good. Like Hestia, Themis was modest and veiled and wasn't interested in marriage, especially after what happened to Metis. But, in the name of peace, she agreed to marry Zeus. The marriage didn't last long. Themis had two sets of triplets. The first set wasn't so bad. Three sisters called the Horai, who ended up being in charge of the changing of seasons. I know, you're thinking, wait, only three seasons? But you gotta remember this was Greece. I guess they've never really had much of a winner. The second set of triplets, though, they gave everyone the creeps. They were called the Morai, the Three Fates, and they were born old. Right out of the cradle, they grew from three shriveled babies into three shriveled old grannies. They liked to sit in the corner and make thread on a magic spinning wheel. Each time they snipped a piece of the line, some mortal down in the world died. The Olympians quickly realized that the three fates could not easily see the future. They could control it. They could bind anyone's life to their magical yarn, literally making a lifeline. And when they sniffed off that piece, sayonara. Nobody was sure if they could do the same thing with immortals, but even Zeus was afraid of those girls. After fathering the fates, Zeus pulled Themis aside and said, You know what? I'm really not sure this marriage is going to work out. If we keep having more kids like those fates, we're all going to be in trouble. What's next? Three doomsday bombs? The three little pigs? Themis pretended to be disappointed, but in actuality, she was very relieved. She didn't want any more kids, and she definitely didn't want to get sucked down the tornado of Zeus's throat. You're right, my lord, she said. I will gladly step aside and let you take another wife. Hestia witnessed all of this, and she was thinking, I never want that to happen with me. With my luck, I would marry some god and give birth to the three stooges 
No, the possibility is much too horrible. She decided it was much better to stay single and concentrate on helping her siblings raise their families. She'd be the cool aunt, the single aunt, the aunt who didn't have terrifying shriveled old granny babies. There was only one problem. Some of the guy gods had other ideas. Poseidon kept looking at Heshtian, thinking, Hey, she's kind of pretty. Good personality, too. Easy to get along with. I could marry a girl like her. You know what? I should marry her. A younger Olympian, Apollo, also wanted to marry Hestia. We'll talk more about him later, but it would have been a really weird match, since Apollo was one of the flashiest gods. Why he wanted to marry quiet, sweet, plain-spoken Hestia, I don't know. Maybe he wanted a wife who would never upstage him. As it happened, both gods approached Zeus on the same day, asking his permission to marry Hestia. Kind of seems weird that they would only ask Zeus instead of Hestia, but as you might have noticed, the males weren't real sensitive about stuff like that. Zeus, being the king of the cosmos, had the final say on all marriages. Meanwhile, Hestia was sitting at the big hearth in the middle of the throne room, not paying much attention. Back then, you needed a central hearth, like an open fire pit, in your main room, mainly because it provided warmth on cold days. It was also where you did your cooking, your water boiling, your chatting, your bread toasting, your marshmallow roasting, and your sock drying. Basically, it was the center of family life. Hesha always hung out there. She had sort of taken over responsibility for keeping the home fires burning. It made her feel really good, especially when her family gathered around for meals. Zeus yelled, Hey, Hestia, come here. She approached his throne warily, looking at Poseidon and Apollo, who were both grinning ear to ear at her, holding bouquets of flowers and boxes of candy. She thought, oh God, no, uh-oh. Great news, Zeus said. Both of these fine gods want to marry you. Because I'm a stand-up king and an all-around thoughtful dude, I decided I'll let you pick. Bachelor number one, Poseidon. Likes long walks on the beach and scuba diving. Bachelor number two, Apollo. Enjoys music and poetry and spends his free time reading prophecies at the Oracle of Delphi. Who do you choose? Hesh just sobbed in horror, which kind of surprised the bachelors. She threw herself at Zeus's feet and cried, Please, my lord, no, no, neither of them. Apollo frowned and checked his breath. Poseidon wondered if he'd forgotten his underarm deodorant again. Before they could get too angry, Hestia collected herself and tried to explain. Look, I, I have nothing against these gods, she said. But I don't want to marry anyone. I want to be single forever. Zeus scratched his head. The idea just simply didn't compute. So, never get married? You don't want kids? You don't want to be a wife? That's correct, my lord, Hestia said. I, I will take care of the hearth for all of the time. I will tend the flames. I'll prepare the feasts. Whatever I can do to help out the families. Only promise me 
I'll never have to get married. Apollo and Poseidon were a little miffed, but it was hard to stay mad at Hestia. She was so sweet and earnest and helpful. They forgave her for the same reasons they wanted to marry her in the first place. She was just genuine, genuinely that nice. Among the Olympians, niceness was a rare and valuable commodity. I rescind my offer of marriage, Poseidon said. Furthermore, I will protect Hestia's right not to marry. Me too, Apollo said. If that's what she wants, I will honor her wishes. Zeus shrugged. Well, I don't get it, but okay. She does keep an excellent hearth. Nobody else knows how to toast marshmallows just right. Not too soft, not too crispy. Hestia, your wish is granted. Hestia breathed a huge sigh of relief. She became the official goddess of the hearth, which may not seem like a big deal, but that was exactly what Hestia wanted. Later on, people made up a story about how Hestia used to have a throne on Mount Olympus and gave it up when a newer god named Dionysus came along. It's a good story, but it's not actually in the old myths. Hestia never wanted a throne. She was way too modest for that. Her hearth became the calm center of the storm whenever the Olympians argued. Everyone knew that fire was in neutral territory. You could go there for a timeout, a cup of nectar, or just talk with Hestia. You could catch your breath without getting accosted by anyone, kind of like base in a game of tag. Hestia looked out for everyone, so everyone looked out for her. The most famous example? One night, Mother Ray had this big party on Mount Ida to celebrate the anniversary of the Olympians' victory over Kronos. All the gods and the friendly titans were invited, along with dozens of nymphs and satyrs. Things got pretty wild. Lots of nectar drinking, ambrosia eating, and crazy dancing with the corets. The gods even convinced Zeus to tell some of his infamous satyr jokes. Hestia wasn't used to partying so much. About three in the morning, she got lightheaded from the dancing and the nectar and wandered off into the woods. She bumped into a random donkey tied to a tree. Probably one of the satyrs had ridden it to the party. For some reason, Hestia found this extremely funny. Hello, Mr. Donkey, she giggled. I'm going to... I'm going to lie down right here and uh, take a nap. What's over me, okay? Okay. The goddess fell face first in the grass and started snoring. The donkey wasn't sure what to think about that, but he kept quiet. A few minutes later, this minor nature god named Priapus came wandering through the woods. You don't hear much about Priapus in the old stories. Frankly, he's not super important. He was a country god who protected vegetable gardens. I know. Exciting, right? Oh, great Priapus, guard my cucumbers with your mighty powers. If you've ever seen those silly plaster garden gnomes that people put in their yards, that's a holdover from the days when people placed statues of Priapus in their gardens to protect their produce. Anyway, Priapus was all about parties and flirting with the ladies. He'd had a lot to drink that night. He was roaming the woods looking for some unsuspecting nymph or goddess he could get cuddly with. 
When he came to the clearing and saw a lovely goddess passed out in the grass, snoring alluringly in the moonlight, he thought, Score. He sneaked up to Hestia. He didn't know which goddess she was, but he didn't really care. He was sure that if he just cuddled up next to her, she would be delighted when she woke up. Because, hey, who wouldn't want to get romantic with the god of vegetables? He knelt next to her. She smelled so yummy, like wood smoke and toasted marshmallows. He ran his hand through her dark hair and said, Hey there, baby. You want to do some snuggling? In the darkness nearby, the donkey apparently thought that she sounded like an excellent idea. He brayed, Priapus yelled, Ah! Hestia woke with a start, horrifying to find a vegetable god leaning over her, his hand in her hair. She screamed, Help! Back at the party, the other gods heard her screaming. Immediately, they dropped whatever they were doing and ran to help her. Because... You just don't mess with Hestia. When they found Priapus, all the gods started wailing on him, throwing goblets at his head, punching him, calling him names. Priapus barely got out of there with his life. Later, he claimed he had no idea he was flirting with Hestia. He thought she was just a nymph, or something. Still, Priapus was no longer welcome at the Olympian parties. After that, Everyone became even more protective of Hestia. Now, there's one more part of Hestia's story that's kind of important, but I'm going to have to do some speculating here, because you won't find this in any of the old myths. At first, there was only one hearth in the world, and it belonged to the gods. Fire was like their trademarked property. The puny humans didn't know how to make it. They were still cowering in their caves, grunting and picking their noses and hitting each other with the clubs. The titan Prometheus, who had made those little dudes out of clay, really felt sorry for them. After all, he'd created them to look like immortals. He was pretty sure humans were capable of acting like immortals, too. They just needed a little help getting started. Whenever Prometheus visited Olympus, he watched the gods gather at Hestia's hearth. Fire was the single most important thing that made the palace a home. You could use fire to keep warm. You could cook with it. You could make hot beverages. You could light light torches at night. You could play any number of funny practical jokes with the hot coals. If only humans had some fire. Finally, Prometheus got up his courage and spoke to Zeus. Hey, Lord Zeus, he said. Uh, I thought I should show the humans how to make fire. Zeus frowns. Humans? You mean those dirty little guys that make funny shrieks when you step on them? Why would they need fire? They could learn to be more like us, Prometheus said. They could build houses, make cities, all sorts of things. That, said Zeus, is the worst idea I've ever heard. Next, you're going to want to arm the cockroaches. Give humans fire, and they're going to take over the world. They'll get all uppity and decide they're as good as immortals. No, I absolutely forbid it. But Prometheus couldn't let it go. He kept looking at Hestia sitting next to her hearth. He admired the way she kept the Olympian family together with her sacred fires. It just wasn't fair, Prometheus decided. Humans deserved the same comfort. 
What happened next? Most versions of the story say that Prometheus stole hot coals from the hearth. He hid them in the hollowed stalk of the fennel plant. Although, you'd think somebody would notice him sneaking out of the palace with a smoldering plant that smelled like burning licorice. None of the stories mention that Hestia helped Prometheus. But the thing is, how could she not have known what he was doing? She was always at the hearth. There's no way Prometheus could have stolen fire without Hestia noticing. Personally, I think she had sympathy for Prometheus and those little humans. Hestia was really kind-hearted that way. I think she either helped Prometheus or at least turned a blind eye and let him steal the hot coals. Whatever the case may be, Prometheus sneaked out of Olympus with his secret burning licorice stick and gave it to the humans. It took a while for them to learn how to use the hot flaming stuff without killing themselves, but they finally managed. And the idea spread like, you guessed it, like wildfire. Now, usually Zeus didn't pay much attention to what was happening down on the earth. After all, the sky was his domain. But one clear night, he stood at the balcony on Mount Olympus and noticed that the world was freckled with lights in houses, towns, and even a few cities. The humans had come out of their caves. That little punk, Zeus grumbled. Prometheus armed the cockroaches. Next to him, the goddess Hera said, Uh, what now? Nothing, Zeus muttered. He yelled to his guards, Find Prometheus and get him here now. Zeus was not pleased. He didn't like it when someone disobeyed his orders, especially when that someone was a titan whom Zeus had generously spared after the war. Zeus was so displeased, he decided to punish Prometheus in a way no one could ever forget. He chained the titan to a rock on Mount Caucasus at the eastern edge of the world, then summoned a huge eagle, which was Zeus's sacred animal, to peck open Prometheus's belly and feed on his liver. Sorry, I guess that was a little gross. I hope you weren't on your way to lunch. Every day, the eagle would rip Prometheus open and chow down. And every night, Prometheus would heal up and grow a new liver, just in time for the eagle to show up the next morning. The other gods and titans got the message. Don't disobey Zeus, or bad things will happen to you. Most likely involving chains, livers, and hungry eagles. As for Hestia, no one accused her of anything, but she must have felt pretty bad for Prometheus, because she made sure his sacrifice wasn't in vain. She became the goddess of all hearths, right across the world. In every mortal home, the central fireplace was sacred to her. If you needed protection, like if someone was chasing you or beating you up, you could just run to the nearest hearth and no one could touch you there. Whoever lived in that house was obligated to help if you asked for sanctuary. Families would take their important oaths to the hearth, and whenever they burned a portion of their meal as a sacrifice to the gods, part of that sacrifice went to Hestia. As towns and cities grew, they operated just like individual homes. Each town had a central hearth that was under Hestia's protection. If you were an ambassador from another city, you always visited the hearth first to proclaim that you would come in peace. If you got in trouble and you made it to the town hearth, 
no one in that city could harm you. In fact, the cities were honor-bound to protect you. It turned out Prometheus was right. Humans did start acting like the gods, for better or worse. Eventually, the gods got used to this and even accepted it. The humans built temples for them, burned sweet-smelling sacrifices, and chanted about how awesome the Olympians were. That certainly helped. Still, Zeus didn't forgive Prometheus for disobeying his orders. Eventually, Prometheus got freed, but that's another story. As for Hestia, she was able to maintain peace on Olympus for most of the time, but not always. For instance, one time her sister Demeter got so mad at her brothers, she almost called World War Zero.